welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. I'm delighted to say I'm here with Neil Markey. He's joining me from this extraordinary scene uh, in Jamaica. For those uh, watching, it's uh, it's one hell of a, a backdrop full of tropical plants. He's the CEO and co-founder of Beckley Retreats, uh, and we'll learn more about uh, what's involved in those retreats as we get into it. He's a, a former captain in the US Army. He's worked for M McKinsey. He's worked in finance and, uh, and now finds himself uh, leading these, these retreats. So Neil, uh, a warm welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Uh, so yeah, for those who've not, have not heard the story of Beckley Retreats and not, and not heard your story before, could you give us a, a short uh, history of how you came to get interested in this work and and be yeah. doing what you're doing now sure it's been it's been a windy road i'll try and give the wave tops um and then if you want we can kind of zoom in but i was studying math in my undergrad um and thinking i was going to go do cryptology at the intelligence agencies i had a bit of a, a gift in math and even i you know i I had no interest in organized religion, frankly, but if you come at it from a math or a physics perspective, something's there. And I, I was, I was looking for it, you know, and a lot of the physicists, um, throughout time kind of saw it, but it was always a bit taboo. Anyway, September 11th happened and that kind of changed everything. Uh, long story short, I ended up in the service. I thought I was doing the right thing. I thought that the United States was at risk. I went to Iraq once, Afghanistan twice. Um, the Afghanistan trips were with the Ranger Regiment, which is a small special operations unit. And that was really intense. Um, I got out. I, um, I went to Columbia University for graduate school. And part, you know, there was, by some measures, I was doing quite well. You know, I was at a good school. I was getting job offers at good companies, but I was really struggling. Like the bottom kind of fell out. You know, I had PTSD um, and had tried a lot of different traditional approaches. Not a lot of luck. And the first thing that I found that really helped was meditation. And I found a, a man that really took me under his wing and taught me meditation. And so for a few years, I kind of got back into studying about spirituality, you know, investigating my own mental health, practicing meditation, um, experimented with some plants along the way. This was like 10 years ago and got to this place um, where I was doing pretty well. I finished school. I ended up doing a teacher certification in meditation. I was teaching meditation and I had all of the right things. I had good community. I was back home with my family. I was working on a small business and teaching meditation my, and my brother. Um, I had a good meditation practice. I was in nature a lot. And then all of a sudden you kind of sync up and life is a bit more smooth. It's not as anxious. It's not as stressful. And, and I had been deferring this job offer with McKinsey and company. And I asked them for another deferral. And basically they said, uh, no, we're not going to be your permanent backup plan. And so I ended up going there. Lots of ups and downs. Part of me loved it. But, you know, the reality is, is the environment wasn't right for me. And over the course of a few years there, and then at another organization where I was doing, I would say, even more misaligned work, 
I ended up in a bad place again, similar symptoms to when I came out of the service, Mm. but from stressful corporate misaligned work environments. And I'm looking around at a lot of my peers who are, you know, quite fortunate, grew up, you know, with, with, with tons of opportunities. And a lot of them are pretty miserable, not sleeping, using alcohol, using prescription drugs, troubled relationships. And they're not war veterans. They're just like in this system that's a bit broken. And so a few years ago, um, I just, I left, you know, I was at, by, again, by some measures, I was doing really well. I was in my mid thirties and, um, was like a very senior executive for a, for a, 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 a private equity portfolio company and completely, utterly miserable. And so I left. I didn't really know what I was going to do, but I just got back to meditation. I had been well before through back, getting back to meditation. I ended up in Mexico teaching and then started incorporating plants, mostly psilocybin and mushrooms into that practice. And then friends started coming down, friends of friends. And then I got connected with the Beckley Foundation, which I'd love to tell you more about. And now we're doing these programs. Um, together in Jamaica, in the Netherlands. And I think it's, I think it's my life's work. I love it. It's fascinating. It helps people. The world's ready for it. It's really, um, it's really inspirational. Wow. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, so I suppose what's most interesting to me is, is, is the plant experiences. Uh, I've done a lot of meditation. I found great benefit from that. I've also done a lot of deep therapeutic work and I've Mm -hmm. received a great deal of benefit from that. I've never experimented with plants and what a difference that could make above and beyond what you know I'm experiencing with these other problems. So I'd love you to take me back to the first your first plant experience and and how you found that and, and what were the effects afterwards and and so on. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, if you look at a lot of different kind of indigenous traditions where they've used these plants, it was it was with meditation, you know. And so to me, the plants enhance meditative self-awareness practices, you know, and what they really do is they kind of open things up. They open up potentiality, but it's best to do that in some foundation of presence practice or awareness practice. And I mean, so my first one, um, was around eight, eight years ago. And, and, you know, it was a mid dose of psilocybin mushrooms and I laid on a bed and had a blindfold on like is traditional, just, you know, by, by myself with a, with a facilitator. And, um, you listen, listen to music for five to six hours and, I mean, it really is hard to explain because it's unlike anything else, but your consciousness shifts around, you know, you, you, you kind of, you'll go through different periods of your own history. Things will become like quite clear to you. Sometimes it can be a bit challenging. Sometimes you can feel just unbelievably filled with joy, you know, so it's a real like roller coaster, but, but through that, you know, a lot of, for a lot of people, it's just, it's this opening. It's this, it's this new perception on how they 
on how they see their life. And that's how, you know, that's how it was for me. It's like, you're able to kind of zoom out. You know, a lot of times we just get in this, we get a bit overly focused on kind of what's in front of us and we miss the forest for the trees. And what I mean by that is, you know, just by you and I being on this call today um, and having the ability to do that, you know, we're in the top percentage of people that have ever walked the earth, really, you know what I mean? In terms of access to opportunity and wealth and, and a lot of us are walking around quite, quite miserable, you know, and quite unhappy, quite unfulfilled. And it, it's not because we don't have enough, you know, things it's, it's a mindset, right? It's a perspective mm -hmm. thing. And it really does allow this kind of like stop, pause, zoom out kind of, and then you can see things a bit more clearly, more objectively. Right. And, and th if I'm right in saying, was this when you were, you were studying, right? This was, you'd come out of the forces by this point, you're at Columbia. Yeah. This was in grad school. Yeah. In grad school. And and you start to get this this new perspective after the experience, and, and then then what's next? What 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 changes afterward? Well, you know, I had already been meditating for some time, and for me, this that experience, I I saw where meditation could go, but meditation a lot first, you know, it's it, it it people do it for an entire life, you know, and. You talk to someone that's been doing it for 40 years, they're still making progress. But there is some, you know, belief, there's there's some consistent thought out there that with the use of psychedelics, you can kind of accelerate that timeline. You can the the opening that comes through meditation can come can come more quick can come more quickly. And so what it did for me was it really like it it really solidified the the benefits or like my discipline around sitting right. and meditating. And um, it allowed me to just, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with th this book that's been out in the last couple of years called The Body Keeps the Score. Yes, yes. It's fascinating, right? It's so fascinating. It's like these, this trauma that happens to us, it's, it's actually like in our tissues, it's in our central nervous mm. system, right? It's not just in the mind, it's kind of in us. And we don't understand the mechanics. We just don't. But what it looks like is these plants have some way of getting into the body and they bring these things, they bring these traumatic events, they bring these, that this, this central nervous system response up to the surface. And then, and then you can do something with it, you know? It, so for me over the years and working with, with plants, it's, um, you know, it's never been like a one and done, but, but each time, you know, and with practice, things get things get lighter. You know, I can reflect back now on things that have happened to me, and I can I can sense in my body that it's not as it's not as triggering. You know, and it's not any. It's not like I don't um, have any less respect for those experiences, but it's not weighing me down. You know, it's mm. not like seeping up through my subconscious as much anymore. It's kind of been let pass. So. So would you describe that as a as a form of trauma release then some somehow the cells are, are giving up some of this yeah. these holding patterns yes some something but the some. reality is i you know we don't we don't know we don't understand mm -hmm. the the mechanics um but yes that's that is a common 
a common sentiment is that people just described like they were able to just like release, release memory, release something in the body, you know, and it is this, it's, it's all related. Um, but many of us are walking around in some stage of fight or flight, you know, that central nervous response, because we're just so overstimulated and we're, you know, the, so, so from when we wake up in the morning, most of us are in this, this mode that's a little bit more hyperreactive. It's a little bit more, for some of us, a lot a bit more anxious, mm. right? And that's, you know, that's, that's all in the body. That's, you know, and that, that affects the, the mind and then how we act, re react with others. And these compounds and practices have some way of getting that to kind of settle and just be more peaceful. Right. Yeah. That's uh, fascinating. And, 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 and does resonate with my own trauma, what I would describe as trauma release work where I'm doing the therapy and allowing memories to come up and allowing myself to have the feelings and the grief work. Yeah. I think it resonates very much, but obviously I'm, I'm not, I'm not doing it in the context of a psychedelic experience, but yeah. Well, and I, all the research, I mean, I think that there's, there's some, you know, clarity that's important here. It's, um, you know, all the research that shows benefit with treatment resistant depression and PTSD, that's all for psychedelic assisted therapy, mm. you know, so the therapy being the key word that the psychedelic is an incredibly powerful tool, but you know, it needs to be used in the right way with the right support, right intention, you know, so it's not these aren't magic pills that you can just pop and they'll fix you. Mm. But with your effort and with, you know, and your kind of intent and with some help, some people kind of help and guide, then they can be incredibly transformative, incredibly transformative. Right. Right. And, and, and so you're, you're, you're into this meditative practice, you're, you're doing some of the plants and then the, the McKinsey opportunity comes along. And so I'm, I'm curious, what do you think had you take that path after having had this, this big opening that sort of led you yeah. not all the way back, but some, some way back down in a similar direction? Um, yeah. So, I mean, I finished, I finished grad school, you know, I had accepted this offer with McKinsey while I was in school and then was yeah. having all these experiences when I was learning and, um, and then I did a teacher certification in meditation at Jefferson University. I was like super passionate about that. And then I was starting to teach it. And I was also working on a small business with my brother back in my, my hometown. And um, so why did I end up saying yes to McKinsey? I think I, I, the curiosity I had to see behind the curtain, you know, okay. the business world puts it on this pedestal and I'm, you know, lower middle-class kid from Frederick, Maryland, and, um, have an opportunity to work at this really prestigious organization. And I, I kind of couldn't help my, myself. I didn't know, I didn't know what was going to happen. And, and not that it was all bad. I mean, there's some amazingly incredible people there and some yeah. really bright people. And part of me loved it because I love thinking about hard, hard things. And, it was, uh, it was quite an experience to oftentimes be like the, you know, be in a group of six and be like, okay, I'm the, I'm the slowest one in this group by, by far, but that's how you get better. 
that's how you learn. You know, that's how you sharpen um, is you're around people that are can run circles around you. But um, yeah, I, um, you know, I think that's why it's important for folks to do the internal work enough to know like what they really want and what's going to fill them up. And for most people, it's, it, it, I don't think anyone, but um, it's this material path. It's this prestigious path is like, you need to really be cautious about that. You know, that's a dangerous one. So be eyes wide open. And I, I just, I had never, yeah, I, it was a, it was a new environment for me that I hadn't figured out yet. Right. And were you able to continue with the meditation practice whilst working for McKinsey? Well, for I mean, it was this such irony. I got to co-lead this small but growing internal mindfulness program with a really dear friend of mine. Um, so at the beginning, yes. But the stress of the work and the kind of like misalignment, some of my bad habits started creeping in and then my meditation was went away it's like i wasn't firm enough in in my kind like i think i could actually go back now and and not that i would but i think i could go back and like stay in resonance or stay settled or kind of like mm. do the be, be strong enough but i just wasn't quite sh- strong enough yet i got pulled and then the stress and the demands of the work and the pace i mean it is it is fast paced. And so over the course of a few years there, my meditation practice went away along with a lot of my exercise. And then, I mean, the whole thing just kind of unravels, you know, um, and there's not a lot of, um, yeah, it's, it's just, the, it's the nature, it's the nature of the environment there. It's really, it's really challenging. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's, that was my experience. I didn't work for McKinsey, but I worked for Deloitte, right? A similar, yeah, same thing. Similar pace, right? And uh, it, it was a rare individual who, who stayed grounded, right? And there were a few. Yeah, there are a few. Who, who, who uh, were boundaried enough and were, were able to say no to the weekend work and all the rest. Thanks. And, and in fact, I knew a McKinsey partner who, who pretty much, he told me, look, I, work, I was a partner at McKinsey. I never worked a weekend, right? He, so some of those individuals somehow exist. Yeah, but but uh, it's it's a, it's a really rare and breed, right? It's a really rare breed, and I mean, it's just these. You know, everyone there is kind of a, a bit of an overachiever, I would say, and then and then you're around a bunch of overachievers, and so it's just like to be able to be confident enough in yourself. And not try and like out compete all of these other people it takes a high level of self awareness. And I just like wasn't, I wasn't there yet. And I was like, I'm a, you know, uh, had the a bit of a soldier mentality. It's just like you just push, you know, you just go as hard as you can because that's the mode, you know, you know. Um, but yeah, I, um, yeah, trying to live differently now. And, and you know, the big big thing too is. I think this like resonance with work is really important, but we don't take the time to consider it. It's like, what is my, what's the organization that I'm investing my time in actually doing in the world? And if you're not emotionally and like 
spiritually and, and, and on board with that, even if you're not thinking about it on a daily basis, your body knows, like your subconscious is well aware that you're out of, out of, you know, sync with your values and, and, and who you are, you know, so if you're square peg round hole, you're going to get all this, you know, all these symptoms, all this stress, all, all that is the body trying to tell you, Hey man, <laughs> you got to make some different choices here. And so I, um, I hope that McKinsey can change over the years and become a better example of what I believe, you know, for-profit can companies can be in the world. But, you know, right now they make fortune 200, fortune 400 companies bigger and more efficient a lot of times at the expense of workers. And I don't think that's what I want to spend my time doing. And, um, mm. and I also, you know, this whole increased shareholder value at the, that, that's the only metric. Like it's just, they're, they're exacerbating a lot of the problems that we see in the world. So I just can't get on board with that. You know, I want to do, I want to do something different. Yeah. It's, it's, we're at an interesting phase, aren't we? Because I mean, that's, that's an example, I think, of, of some sort of creeping awareness within corporate circles or, you know, perhaps in the sort of capitalist mindset in general that we need to do start doing th things differently. And mindfulness progr programs are just, you know, one example of things starting to shift. But it, yeah, it feels like there's an awful long way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And there was, there's been times where I was like, you know, the whole thing needs to break and be rebuilt from scratch. But I actually think that there's a shift that's happening. That's quite positive and mm. more people are asking these questions. And, you know, I mean, we could go off on a whole tangent around Western democratic capitalism and big business, but I just, the, the resources have gotten too far away from, the people in the communities, you know what I mean? Right. And there are, there is a regenerative approach to, to for-profit business. That's like this middle path that, um, I think some people are figuring out and more people are saying, yes, we need that. And these big, huge multinational conglomerates where the investors have no idea, nor do they care what's happening over here with these people. It's like that, that's just got to break. Business needs to be more local, you know, and needs to be it needs to have more heart. You know, it's just become, it's just become these generators of cash. Um, and, um, yeah, we've got to, we've got to change the way we, we think about that. Yeah. Yeah. And that shit, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot in what you're saying there, but one, one aspect that jumps <laughs> yeah. out is, is, uh, yeah. What, it, what, <laughs> what, Neil, what is your vision for the future of capitalism? But the, the, <laughs> well, I mean, we're working on that. I mean, we, I, I hope that we can bring more and more people that have, you know, we're, I want everyone to come through, have an opportunity to do these programs. We're also doing programs that are a bit more tailored for, um, executive leaders, right. And people that have incredible capability and networks and positions of power and resource. And it's like, well, show them, let them have these 
kind of transformative experiences, understand that interconnectedness of everything. It's not a rational thinking exercise. It's felt, you know, you're like, okay, this is all, we're all in this together, whether we want to be or not, you know, there's like a bit of a humbling that happens in this, in this work. And then show people some new models for how to think about businesses and relationships and how companies operate in their environments and things and start, you know, getting more people to just think less about quarterly earnings and what is the, what's the real impact of this organization more broadly, you know, thinking zooming mm. out, right? That's what this mm. work can help you do. Zoom out, get away from me or this. And we really start thinking about the whole collective and more universally. Something that's, that's coming through. And is that, is that the, well, let me ask the question differently. What do you see as being the most frequent shifts in people's perspectives coming through your programs? Yeah. Um, well, I would say people come down. So like our programs, they're non-medical, right? So we screen out really severe indications, not because I don't think we can't help people that have severe indications. It actually looks like these plants are great for that. Um, but it's just our approach, you know, we're doing larger groups and folks that have severe indications just need a different level of care and infrastructure. So the folks that are coming down usually fit in three ish buckets. It's they'll say something like, I just feel stuck. You know, I'm just like in this autopilot mode. And I've tried like th this thing there and I've tried this thing, but nothing's stuck. And I'm just like, I just feel stuck, mm. you know? And I mean, I know that feeling. And I think that this, this work, this, this kind of getting away from everything and having these powerful experiences can be really powerful and just like providing an opportunity to make shift, you know? And then a lot of our guests will come down and say something, they'll have something, um, recent like a death of a loved one or they lost their job and they just like there's a there's a there's kind of a traumatic event mm. and they want to just like get through it you know like not forget about it but just not let it have it weigh them down anymore like yeah. move on give it the mm. pay it the respect it deserves and and move on and so i think this work can really help with that and then we have folks that come down and um and they've already, they have like a meditation practice or a spiritual practice. And this is just like the next step step. And it's kind of a very light opening journey. They're like, I want to become more empathetic, more creative, sit in awe more, you know, and this, this work can kind of help with those, with those openings. Um, but, uh, I mean, we just had an, an 80 year old woman and an 86 year old man come down for the woman's 80th birthday never done something like this before and um you know he was in finance they had lived a very uh fortunate life you know like these weren't mm. people that had had a sheltered existence and they said it was the most meaningful experience of their life and so you 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 feel this you experience this thing um that's in you, that's in other humans, that's in nature, that physics, physicists and mathematicians and biologists and chemists 
have been seeing for millennia or for you know as long as we've been looking but haven't been able to like talk about in the right words or whatever because it's like so taboo and then that that can be fundamentally life-changing you know what i mean Mm. there's a lot of use of um or not a lot but there's more and more use of psilocybin for um like palliative care there's so much anxiety at the end of life um and you can looks like you can give give people you know one two of these types of sessions in the right way and that that anxiety completely goes away Mm. you know i mean like how amazing is that um so yeah 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 um I'm starting to get a picture. I couldn't help smile to myself as uh, you were describing the 86-year-old and the 80-year-old. Uh, come on, dear. Should we go to Jamaica and take a trip? Yeah. Just love that. Well, I love uh, that conversation over a cup of tea when they're considering what to do for her birthday. Well, I, and um, we we have a lot. A lot of times people come down with their significant other or there's a, a son-mother um, couple down here now. And it can be really transformative in those in those close relationships because over time you know that our our projection our our perspective of that person becomes a function of these like deeply ingrained kind of mental and emotional patterns right so we're we're not seeing over some time you know we're we're not seeing like a really objective view of that person we're seeing that person with 20 years of our personal history and memory of that person right which is is and what this work can do is it can kind of it can release some of those things and and um and then you can kind of have this new it's almost like you have this new opportunity to kind of um shift the relationship in a better path you know what i mean so it's um it can be really where you know if you went to talk therapy you can make kind of similar progress but again you know talk therapy it's it's kind of getting in the mind right when a lot of this stuff is like it's actually deeper in us you know and i mean it's it's when you're with someone your central nervous system's actually making responses it's not just your rational mind you know so it's like how do you get at all of that being there's yeah. just there's different approaches yeah, that uh, that's that's right. I think I've been fortunate in the therapy I've done has been very much embodied, right? I think I think yeah. that's where I think that's the best therapy is. Yeah, is, is yeah is is embodied. It, it may yes. start talking, but it it needs to get into the body at some point. Um, I, I I'm still curious about you know the the public perception of of psilocybin and psychedelics and so on. And I mean, what comes to mind is recently there's there's a Garba Mate, right? I'm not sure you're familiar with him. Sure, yeah, and and he interviewed Prince Harry, so there was a yes, lot in yes. the press about this. And uh, he was referred to in one of the newspapers, you know, the controversial Dr. Garba Mate, you know, who advocates using ayahuasca. And uh, it's uh, there's still the mainstream view, uh, well, at least according to this newspaper, um, is that somehow it's 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 controversial or it's dangerous and it's so on and. We see stories of people taking bad trips and so on. Like, you know, what's your take on where public consciousness is right now on on these topics? I 
think it's heading in a good direction, positive direction. And by positive, I mean more openness. Um, I, I think it's changed drastically in the last 18 months. I mean, in a big way. Um, I think that Michael Pollan's book, How to Change Your Mind, you know, um, the Netflix series, um, Prince Harry, you know, there's kind of these national news stories of use. And then, you know, my my father's friends are in their 80s, generally lead more conservative. And I've, you know, they're curious about potentially coming down on programs now, which I think a few years ago would have been like completely nuts um you know but uh there is there's risk here but i just don't think we're doing a good job of looking at like risk versus reward you know or, or relative risk you know um there's risk in pharmaceutical drugs i mean my god look at like what we go and get prescribed from the doctor's office it's nuts it's mm. nuts I mean, I care a lot about veteran and veteran health. We're doing a lot of work with veteran health. And it's not uncommon for me to hear about a veteran that's getting treatment from the veteran affairs where they're on 20 or 25 different medications. It's like, well, what's the risk in that? Like, come on, people. This is criminal. It's criminal. Um, and so I think if you actually look at psilocybin and um, you look at the relative risk, and you look at the cost versus potential benefit or risk versus potential benefit. It's like a no brainer. It's come on people. It's, um, and, um, it needs to be used in the right way. And, um, you know, so for some people it can exacerbate problems, you know, but like net net if relative to other drugs, relative to, you know, the, the transformative potential, it, we need to we need to open up a bit more to it. There's a in fact this is a kind of funny funny story. I mean I'm a bit of a like math geek. I love data. And when I was in graduate school, I read an article and then an economist, and it was something like getting high or something, but it had a graph in there, and it racked and stacked kind of most of the known drugs in the world. And it was done by David Nutt, who was oh, yes, the, the drug czar. Yeah, drug czar, yeah. And in 2010. And um, they, they went around and looked at a bunch of different compounds and, and they tried to say, okay, well, let's just look at the harm. Let's try and, you know, let's try and measure just, just harm. And so they developed this metric and they said there's harm to self, which is propensity for addiction, toxicity to the body, you know, like how bad is it to me? And then there's harm to others, which is, you know, domestic abuse and, you know, people losing their jobs. And they came up with this, this metric and then they went out and they looked at a bunch of different data sets. And, and you know what the number one most dangerous drug was in terms of <laughs> by far, by far. And so we use that all. It's like, it's the one, it's the one compound that you need an excuse not to use. Right. And then we're scared to death of psilocybin. It's like, it's just not rational. You know? So, so it's just going to take some time in, in that same list, you know, um, you know, it was at the absolute bottom. The the last psilocybin. One. Psilocybin. I, right. Yeah. Yeah. Psilocybin. 
And so I, oh, the, what the, the, the kind of neat little nugget was, I was like very struck by this at the time, you know, cause I was experimenting and was like, oh man, the, are we actually looking at the data here? And, um, and then I found out seven or eight years later that it was actually Amanda Fielding, who's the, you know, mm. founder, executive director of the Beckley Foundation, who was the architect of that study and got that study published. And then if you look back at the history, though, it was so taboo then that David essentially got pushed out. Right. You know, it yeah. was such, yeah. right. So, <laughs> um, but I think the tides of, I think, I think we're kind of past that, that point where, um, where we're getting more, getting more openness and acceptance. And it's just the, the, I think everybody's looking at the alternative, which is the established Western medical system. And they're like, well, okay, well that for mental health and well being. I mean, like that's not working. <laughs> yeah. so like that's completely broken. So, you know. It's almost out of necessity. People are opening up, and and I wonder I mean, if if there'll be some kind of positive feedback loop, right? Because you could say, well, yes, the mess, the Western medical system isn't working, but why is there so much pressure on it? You know, what are the lives that we're leading that means so many people are turning to antidepressants and so on? Like, what is it 100%. about how we lead our life, right? But if we can have more opening. You know, yes. and people seeing new possibilities, in, you know, through doing type of work that you advocating or other forms of uh, therapeutic modalities yeah. and so on. Can they now view work, take a different pro approach to how they lead their lives and then not need so much of medical intervention? Yeah, exactly. And I mean, for me, a, a big part of it is just um, it's this myth of materialism. Mm. You know, and that, um, you know, more and more stuff is going to fill us up. And then we've, you know, we've created these economies where it for for the working class, it is it's really hard to get. It's really hard to get by, you know, so for. White collar professionals, you know, we get into this. Loop. I always describe it as kind of eating a sugar diet. You know, it's like it'll it'll give you a little bit of a boost, but there's no like actual nourishment in it, so it just leaves you more hungry than you were before. And so we have so many people out there I think are eating like a life of you know, material things, eating eating sugar when really what they need is community and you know, these spiritual connection and these like deeper practices time in nature things that actually like will fill them up and make them feel complete instead of this endless cycle of trying to do that with more stuff you know yeah, yeah. That, that resonates particularly i've just come back from a i've got two six-year-old boys and we've just been on a on a three-night camping and canoeing trip like in the forest and yeah, you, you come back and I feel so full up, right? And the whole trip cost me like 50 bucks. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like we, we stopped for a sausage roll in the cafe <laughs> on one of the days. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's amazing what time, you know, just, just out in nature can do. It's uh, mm -hmm. out near the water. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, 
I, again, I love coming at it from a, like a physics perspective. Um, you know, we're, we're part of nature. If you it, it, look at the cross section of a lung and then look at a tree, mm. it's like, and then they, they actually do the reciprocal function. So it's like, we, we need nature, you know, and I think we need to start thinking about nature. Like we think about, you know, access to food and to food and water. Um, but we've in this really ironic way, we've kind of destroyed nature, um, to make us more material things that just don't have that same kind of energetic feedback loop. They're devoid of this, this thing or whatever that's in nature, that's in us. And, and we need, we need more of that. We need less, you know, fancy houses and fancy cars and stuff. And we just need more connection with, with this, this thing that is in nature and that we're also a part of, we need more communion with it, you know? Mm. Given you, you like data, have you seen any of the, the work that the, the Japanese have done on forest bathing? Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, so lots of great. In fact, we had a forest bathing instructor on the show. Yeah, well, yeah. and that's why I mean, that's why for us this work, you know, is there use? Is there benefit of using some psilocybin in a clinic environment? Yes, let's do more of that. Again, relative to other options, particularly if it's with a good therapist. Um, all thumbs up but there's something different when you do this work deep in nature together you know and that's really important again i think that psilocybin psychedelics they that whatever's happening in nature bathing this like loop this energetic loop that's happening there's an exchange between nature us us and nature i think that if you use the right amount of psychedelics it opens that up same with like meditation. And so they're all kind of pointing at a similar thing and they're helping this relational thing yeah. with ourselves and nature. Yeah. Just speaking to you, really, I can, I can feel my own mind expanding it. Cause when I can see, cause I'm, yeah, I meditate, I guided nature. Yeah. I, I, I very much see it as, as it's my experience. You know, this is, this is my experience meditating. I feel calmer. Or, or I might feel in awe. I'm not relating to it r- relationally. <laughs> That's not tautologist, right? I'm not. I'm not thinking about me connecting and a back and forth between the environment in the way that you're describing it. I, I can see there's, you know, there's there's something here you're pointing to that I'm, you know, I could get more familiar with. Yeah, and it's um, it's beyond mind. But mm. yeah, with some cues, yeah, try it, you know, sit in, sit in nature. I mean, we, and we're, you know, we're all part of it. Um, you know, there's lots of, again, we don't understand the mechanics of it, but like we pick up on each other's central nervous systems in a big way, big way, you know? And so, um, yeah, so much of our existence it's it is relational it's how we're interacting with others it's our our, even our own kind of like perception of self right is a loop is a relational loop yeah yeah 
And when you do the, the ceremonies in in your retreat, that that's communal. So everybody is is taking the the plant yeah. at the same time. And yeah, that's right. Um, and this is how you know what we're trying to do is bring the best of or or bring you know insights and in way from Western science and from more kind of indigenous tradition. Because from our perspective, they're, they're not, um, they actually reinforce each other. But again, like we, the science probably just hasn't caught up to some of these things, you know, like the right. science can't describe some of these really ineffable, indescribable things. But so, yeah, we do it in, we do them in groups. So typically we'll have a group of 15 to 20 guests and we'll have six to seven facilitators with a nurse and with some kind of host staff. So it's, it's usually like two guests to one kind of Beckley personnel. And right. again, um, I think there's value in one-on-one -on -one work, but there's something that is special and unique about doing this with other, with other people. Right. Yeah. In a big way. And you're doing it, in a forest or what was the setting we are on this well we have a property here in jamaica and a property in the netherlands and when we look for properties we just want something that's away you know yeah. so it's it's just it's deep in nature it's surrounded by nature okay um and that's the important that's the important thing i i, I think it's good to yeah, just be surrounded by nature. You don't want to like a lot of noise. You, you know, you don't want to a lot of, I mean, again, we don't understand it all, but I'd rather not have a lot of stray electromagnetic kind of frequency and mm -hmm. right, just like get away from the developed world and just kind of be, yeah. be in nature. Yeah. 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 And, and everyone, um, go ahead. Go no, no, go on. Say. Well, I was just going to, I mean, because I, sometimes I forget, it's like I, 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 these ceremonies become, uh, like, I love them and they, I, you know, I witness them all the time now and I forget that it is quite probably quite foreign to a lot of people and you don't have to call them a ceremony if you don't want, you can call it a session if it feels weird. I mean, but the reality is, is we make it special. Um, so there's some, there's some ritual to it. There's some intention because mindset matters intentionality yeah. matters yeah so you see this in medicine right dr bedside manner mm. placebo effect so you know we 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 try and get the mind and the body like actually through the entire kind of preparatory program and all of the stuff we do around it we try and get people ready you know and that and there's a there's a mindset component so we do some um kind of ritual traditions that that we pull from different lineages and and some of the stuff which just good mindfulness practice just be here now you know right yeah same things you do in meditation just be in the present moment cultivate gratitude and then yeah we make a tea so everyone kind of gets their own dose which is a function of you know, they have a discussion with the senior facilitators. Some people go a little bit lower. Some people go a bit higher. And then everybody takes the tea together 
And a lot of times we will start in silence. And so everybody has like their own mat, they have a blindfold, you lay back and you just try and meditate and be present. And then the psilocybin will come on and um, the group will play live music. So it's like really beautifully facilitated, you know, it's like, yeah. these, these, uh, it's not like a sterile, you know, medical, uh, office, you know, uh, in, in an office building, it's like, it's really beautiful. And I think that's part of it too, right? It's, uh, how people feel and yeah, it usually, you know, it kind of peaks in two to three hours and then people will start kind of coming down over at five hours or, or so. And, um, yeah, and on our team, you know, we always have a, uh, our teams of six or seven. And so we kind of build them around what we call senior facilitators. And we look for, for one senior facilitator that has a Western background. So psychotherapy or integrative health yeah. kind of background. And then we look for another senior facilitator that has, you know, usually a decade or more of this more indigenous approach. And we try and pair right. them together. Yeah. And then we fill in around with, you know, meditation instructors, sitters, people that have been in this world for a long time. And their job is just to like keep a nice chill energy. Yeah. Play music. And uh, it's, it's fascinating to watch. It's really cool. It's really cool. And, and do you get extreme reactions and sort of people vomiting i mean is it is, does that happen is that something to deal with oh. yeah i mean it gets not as nothing like ayahuasca right where kind of that norm is people getting yeah. very upset sick and purging sometimes people will get a um will get some nausea you know but generally people it's like well tolerated that's part of the reason that we like psilocybin we think can kind of have these really powerful experiences but it's not as tough on the body it's not as much of a struggle like i'm like if you can give people an experience and they're not like also throwing up on their body i'm like i will take that you know <laughs> not that there's anything you know if people want to try ayahuasca they i i encourage it but um yeah these the, the psilocybin experience i guess the the known outcomes are a little bit like tighter. It's a little right. bit more controlled, but sometimes people have really, you know, extreme, um, processes, you know, um, sometimes people have some deep stuff that comes up and they, and they, and they work through. And so that's why it's, it's good to have a team. You gotta have a big enough team because sometimes, you know, a person it's like best to kind of take that person and let them get a bit of a break away from the group and like kind of let them yeah. go through it and sometimes folks will get into this loop where they feel like they're disturbing the group and then they feel bad and it's so we just have to have a team and a plan to be able to kind of know that these types of things happen but yeah yeah interesting and and it's you you presumably you're pretty pioneering you're, you're learning some of these lessons there's not that many of you guys out there right presumably organizations like yours yeah well there's a lot of like underground um 
there's a lot of amazing kind of healers that have been doing this kind of in their own way for a long time. But no, I don't think there's a lot of organizations like us that are kind of bringing, I, you know, I, I hope we're, we're, we're bringing like the right level of professionalism, you know, so we have like standards. So, you know, we have checklists and protocols and we know where the psilocybin comes from and like all that stuff, because what we want to do is create a safe experience and have some consistency around it, but also not over mechanize it, not over clinicalize it to where it becomes again, just another Western approach. There is some artistry, there's some beauty in it. So it's like, we want to create, you know, good firm guardrails so that, so that we, we give people a safe experience, but allow some of this flow in the program. And, um, yeah. And I don't think there's, you know, the way that we're kind of tracking data and getting and, and, and getting feedback and then putting it back in and being iterative and thinking about our program. I mean, you can get really sophisticated, you know, I'd say, I'd say we have an excellent program now, but it can get even better if you start, if you, if you say, how do we really help people make lasting change, you know, not just give them a mystical experience, but really help them make lifelong change. If you look at, you know, adult learning or habit change science, you can get really sophisticated in how you deliver material, right? Or how you, how many times you touch people along this journey to help them, you know, develop a meditation habit, you know what I mean? To help them, you know, actually start getting in nature more frequently on their, their own. So I, I, yeah, I think that we're kind of bringing a new level of, of thoughtfulness to like these compounds and how to use them. Yeah. And I noticed that when I looked at the program, you've got these you know, big sections like before and after, right? Where you're, you're really thinking yeah. about bringing Yeah, that's it, kind of not knowledge. Yeah. I mean, that's really what we want. We want, we want habit change. You know, we want, we, um, yeah. So it's, it's really using psychedelics as a tool to help people you know, make, make, make shifts in their life. And, and there's lots of places right now where, you know, you can go in some places. I mean, you can go for a night. I saw this, I've seen this so much all over the place, but you can go and have this really transformative mystical experience, but there's no preparation. There's no like kind of like mindset, mind, body alignment prior to it. Um, and then there's no follow-up. So at best, it's like very suboptimal. You're just not getting as much out of it. You're not using it in, in a way that is going to be of most benefit to you. You're like leaving a lot on the table. Um, and at worst, it's dangerous. You know, if, you, if you're already having, you know, some mental health challenges and then you go, you know, to me, psychedelics, they they open up potentiality, right? But if you're already struggling and then you go do something in a kind of mindless way, it can make things worse. You know, it can destabilize, it can, it can, it can exacerbate things. So, you know, we're, it's important to, yeah, consider, consider a lot of things when experimenting with these compounds. 
and making it safe. I mean, there was a story in the paper yesterday, which a friend of mine said, a, a bunch of guys took magic mushrooms in the Lake District, which is a hilly part in the UK, and they all got lost <laughs> to be rescued, right? <laughs> So, so that, that, that is, that's what that, that's sort of common right now is these sort of funny stories about people getting high and yeah, you would bring yeah. a very different message. Yeah. Well, I think um it's fine. Amanda has Amanda Fielding has two sons, Rock and Cosmo, um, which are names you would expect from a woman that's been studying psychedelics for decades. And uh Cosmo always says, you know, psychedelics can be fun. And I think that's true, you know, and I mean, it's just like, what's the intention and, and like, what's the dose? Mm-hmm. And so can a group of people use some mushrooms and, and go and go to a concert or go have a hike? Yeah, it's probably net net safer than a bunch of buddies going and having bars in a city or having, having drinks in a bar in a city, you know yeah. what I mean? It, probably it's probably safer than that. Um, but the way, you know, what we're doing is trying to get people to have kind of transforma- transformation, yeah. you know, to have, have, have like real, real shifts. Yeah. Great. Well, I know, I know you've got a, you've got, you've got another engagement. So I, I, I kept, we could have got on forever, Neil, but thank you. Thank you so, yeah, thank so, you much. so much. This is, I really feel like I've had a, a window into your world and, um, and I especially Great. love the way you're bringing into this 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 concept of connection and 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 relationship to to all that is right that and uh yeah i, I really appreciated that in the conversation um we will put a link uh to beckley retreats into into the show notes for people who are intrigued and want to to learn more it's a fantastic website all the information there um anything else where you'd, you'd point people who who resonate with this and want to learn more um well, yeah, Beckley Retreats is is a good spot. Um, you know, we do bi-weekly calls where people can kind of join and ask questions. And I mean, the Beckley Foundation, that's kind of where the retreat's name comes from, is from the foundation. You know, you can check out the check out the research there. Mm. Um, yeah, it's 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 it, it, it's really exciting. You know, the the research is emerging, but it's it's certainly pointing towards Hey, we should, we should look at this, you know, we should at least consider, we should at least consider this. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you once again. Um, thank you. It's been a, it's been a pleasure, Neil. I've really, Likewise. I've really appreciated the, the uh, conversation. Yeah. Thank you. The being human podcast was brought to you by first human for more on first humans, human focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.